Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. COPD in the time of COVID. This is one of the main risk factors. If you were to get exposed to coronavirus, those people who have lung conditions might not fare as well. So it is a concern among those who are suffering with such illnesses such as bad asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or emphysema. There's a heightened awareness that if they get sick, they could have an outcome that isn't going to be as good as it could be if they never got infected. So that's one of our goals is to protect everyone out there. Now we're going to have a wonderful discussion with my hardworking colleague, Valerie Chang from the Hawaii COPD Coalition. And we're going to be talking about upcoming World COPD Day. That's Saturday, November 21st, coming up later this week. But we have some interesting things to talk about today. We're going to talk about what is going on right now in the COPD community and some support groups that are available. But let's start off by welcoming Val Chang and a discussion on the usefulness and how often you need to clean those wonderful masks that we tell everybody to wear that they're making at home. So thanks for joining us, Valerie. And tell us more. You learned something interesting today about cotton masks. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I'm really excited that the Centers for Disease Control and Protection or Prevention are now recognizing that wearing a mask, a cotton mask with two layers, can protect both the wearer and the people around the wearer so that it protects me for when I wear it and it also protects anyone I encounter. So I think it's really wonderful for people to realize it's protecting everyone. It's protecting, yeah, when when we wear it. And I think a lot of us really get bogged down on how to clean them because you don't feel like running a whole load of clothes every time you need to wash a mask. And they do recommend we wash them like every day, which is not really convenient unless we happen to have dozens and dozens of masks. Yep, you're supposed to clear, change your mask like you change your underwear, which yeah, means yeah. change and it, people. <laughs> Don't wear the same convenient. one day in, day out. Absolutely. So I was reading an article on the National Public Radio, and one of the writers, or one of the people interviewed, was somebody from the Biosecurity Research Program at the University of South Wales Kirby Institute. And he said, all you have to do is put the mask, rinse the mask off to clean off any debris, and then steam it for five minutes. You know, you can steam it in a steamer basket that you normally cook broccoli in or whatever. Just steam it for five minutes and then throw it in the dryer because the dryer helps shrink the pores of your mask so that it will help do the filtering it should be doing. So you get a two-layer mask, and at the end of the day, if you collect a bunch of them or if you change it every day, you steam it for five minutes, and then you throw it in the dryer. It sounds relatively simple. I mean, I think a lot of folks might uh, have multiple masks, so they could potentially interchange them one day versus the next. But it sounds like this is a good way to just simple, easy way to clean it in a way that's pretty effective. Yeah, and it that way it doesn't pile up, and then you're not tempted to throw it in a wash with, you know, something that may be not great that you don't really want to wash it with. Because remember, this is something you're going to put against your face, right? So you don't want to wash it with maybe the 
the rags that you might be cleaning your floor with or other things that might have allergens on them. So I think steaming it and putting it in the dryer is the way I'm going to go from now on. (laughs) Well, and it makes sense. You know, when we first started telling people that masks were important, I know in the beginning it was sort of a sign of, you know, the person who's sick should wear a mask. They should protect their germs and keep it to themselves. And then it sort of transferred. The CDC said, okay, everybody should wear a mask. And if you wear a mask and you're wearing it and somebody else who has a respiratory illness is wearing it, you decrease the likelihood of transmission significantly. So now you're right. The CDC came out and said it really does help the person who might be sick to keep the germs to themselves, but it also helps the other people around them. And it may seem like this sounds kind of like common sense, but they actually put a lot of science into doing the study to look at what are the particle size and how much could you potentially be transmitting to other folks. And that's why certain activities are something they've really discouraged, like singing. You know, singing groups are areas where you might project your voice and therefore be projecting out more of the virus particles if you happen to be sick. So they really are trying to give some pretty clear guidance on what to do, I guess, in general. If you have a mask, wear it, and if you wear it, clean it. Right, and the good news is our state finally has a policy again that everyone is supposed to wear masks. And so it's clear across the state instead of different policies in different counties. And I think that that makes it much easier for everyone. Well, I think that sort of central idea of let's make it fair and equitable, have everybody do it, All islands, you know, just in general, the idea is to try and help people to lower the numbers of new infections and thus lower the burden on the healthcare system. But nobody would want to be in a situation where we see too many people who are in the hospital needing care and not enough beds available for those who need to come into the hospital and get sick. And I know last, you know, in August, we had a little bit more of a flurry, September a flurry, and then now in October and November, we've had decreased number of cases of folks in the major hospitals. But that doesn't mean that we won't see some of the same things that they're seeing in the Midwest. So we do need to be cautious and careful keeping the mask on and that six feet of distance. Social distance is a good idea. Thanksgiving's coming up. You know, that's going to be a stress for a lot of folks. Yeah, and I think if people can remember to try to do things outdoors and keep events short, you know, because it's the time of exposure. And we're very blessed because we can do a lot outdoors in Hawaii or with really good ventilation, you know, open the sliding doors and, you know, have some people outdoors and, you know, just kind of spread people out so that we're not all in really close proximity to just try to keep people safe because no one wants to be the one that got anyone else sick. I mean, that just is not a good way to have a holiday. Nope, not at all. Now, there are some people who might have trouble wearing a mask. And, you know, as a COPD uh, survivor or somebody who is living with this condition, uh, you know, you've been in a position where you have to wear a mask when you go out in public. And, you know, what are your thoughts for those folks who feel as though it's difficult because of their breathing? Do you think that, you know, particularly like maybe those on oxygen, are there ways they could make it easier for themselves to still protect themselves? Yeah, some people do it so that they um, put the mask over their nose and then it's loose for the the bottom part over their mouth so it's not as tight, especially if they have oxygen, and then they wear a shield with it so that 
the mass will catch the droplets and the shield will provide the extra protection. But it's not so tightly fitted and I think it allows them to feel like they can breathe better. All right. I want to make sure that everybody can breathe. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Valerie Chang of the Hawaii COPD Coalition about some of the ways that her group has had to change some of the things that they've been doing, including support groups. We'll talk about how it's going and ways people can interact if they want to still get together in more of a virtual environment. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and The Hub Coworking Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and Valerie Chang is on the line from the Hawaii COPD Coalition. And right before the break, we were talking about how to clean your mask, because certainly something important if you have a mask that you do change it on a daily basis, and you also make sure you can clean for it carefully. Bottom line, Val, was, you know, steam it five minutes and throw it in the dryer. So... I'm curious because one of the things that a lot of organizations have had to do, yours included, is really find novel ways to engage the community. No longer should we have big group events where, you know, 30, 50, 100, 150 people show up because of the potential of of exposure. And so your group has found some ways to interact virtually. How's that going? Well, we've had one webinar, um, and that was for our annual education day, and that was September 11th, and it's archived so people can view it if they want to. It's on our homepage where they, the article about the World COPD Day, and at the bottom of it talks about the webinar we had on September 11th, and we're also having a World COPD Day webinar this Saturday, September 21st. I mean, November 21st from 10 to noon, Hawaii time. And um, we also have Zoom support groups, um, second Tuesday and second Friday of every month. And that has been really interesting because some of the people that used to come to our support groups but moved to other locations to be nearer loved ones are now participating. Like we had someone come from... Uh, Florida and someone from Atlanta participate. So it is it is good in that respect because people can participate from wherever on the island or wherever in the world they are. Um, but it is different because, you know, it is nice to be able to physically see each other and be together, but you can see each other virtually on the Zoom if you choose to or as you and I were talking, you can choose to just be no video and just audio only. That's fine, too. Some people really don't want to be seen for whatever reason, and that's perfectly fine. So it's, it's kind of a good way to stay in touch and be able to ask any questions people have or just chit-chat and support each other, what's working, what's not working. You know, what conferences do people know that are coming up? And what do people think need to be shared? Like, there is another conference coming up soon about um, uh, Medicare reimbursement for pulmonary rehabilitation. 
and that's going to be with the U.S. COPD Coalition, and they'd like people to pre-register for that as well. And that's also on our website, and that is on the 18th, I believe. Well, one of the curious things that I found is, you know, when I first, my very first Zoom conference, I got frustrated because I had slow internet, and so I just didn't go. I just didn't stay. And since then, I've gotten really, really a lot better at attending some of these uh, virtual conferences. In fact, in some cases, you can attend more than one at a time, which is not recommended. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where I think the idea of still remaining interactive, the idea of social distancing, it's sort of a, a misnomer. You want physical distancing of six feet, but you want to still be socially interactive. So one of the ways that I think some groups have really had to modify the way that they're doing their activities is to create these sort of Zoom environments where people can just, you know, meet up and talk about what's going on in their lives. And you do have the option of being on video or not, which is a nice way that people can choose to participate. You know, and it also allows folks, you mentioned some people joined in on your conference from like Atlanta. You know, it allows people to not only come to Zoom conferences that are coming here in the islands, but people can also join in to national level conferences that maybe before they had to physically go to and attend. And it gives us that flexibility. So, For those folks who want to find out what's the latest going on in the world of COPD treatment, there are some options through your website and through some of the interactions with the U.S. COPD Coalition to find out more and to see what else is going on out there. It allows us to virtually travel and attend and educate ourselves in ways that maybe before we never thought about. Yeah, um, I think it allows us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise, like the lieutenant governor, for example, will be speaking at our um, event on the 21st. And normally he's really busy and his schedule is packed, but he's making an effort and he's going to be making a video so we can see it and hear about how COPD is doing in Hawaii. And one of our speakers lives and practices in San Diego, and she's uh, got about three decades of experience in holistic medicine, and she's going to talk about anti-inflammatory diet for good lung health. And I think that's really exciting because people are always asking, you know, how can I improve my diet for, for better breathing and for better living? And she has the answers that I don't, and I think it's really exciting that we'll be able to hear her. And I wouldn't have the money to be able to fly her over, but she's perfectly happy to Zoom and participate with us. It's going to change the way we do conferences in the future. And it also, the one thing you mentioned is that the webinar from September 11th, you said, is archived. So if you can't make it at that particular time, it's a lot easier to have that access later available when you want to watch it or you have the time. And you can just, you know, click a couple of different links and there you go. It's as if you were interacting there at the time. So it really has allowed for a totally different mechanism of conferences. You know, it's it's something that we'll all get used to, but there are some good parts about it. Now, you mentioned that there's a support group, and I'm 
curious because in the past when you've had support groups, the support has been, you know, being there, seeing other people who are experiencing the same medical condition and also seeing how well they're doing or even just helping somebody else out along the way. It's a little bit more difficult through some of the virtual platforms, but you found a way to make it work. Are some of the folks who are attending your support groups finding that they're getting a lot a lot of value out of that? And how can we encourage more people to take advantage of these events? Because you know, so often I think patients learn so much more from one another than when I tell them something medical. The common sense idea of, you know, how to manage oxygen tubing that seems like it's not long enough to get from point A to point B or or different types of portable oxygen. These are things that they might not get from their provider, but they might get from their friend who has the same thing. Right. And and they can tell it like it is, like, you know, this is what's working for me or this that never worked for me either, and maybe if you tried it this way, it might work better. And it's really exciting to see what people are passionate about. And when they're Zooming, they can show us. Like the other day, we had one of our uh, patients show us her garden. She's a master gardener, and she showed us her black orchids and her other beautiful orchids that we never get to see normally, but it was just fabulous to see something that really, really excites her, and it's something that you rarely get to see except maybe in National Geographic, and it gives other people ideas. Yeah, maybe I should grow something, and right now we're trying to grow some squash in our front yard. I'm sure she would have good ideas on how we could get rid of some of the pests that are attacking our poor plants. (laughs) Yeah, you never know the way that you can interact with folks and what you might learn. Now, let's talk a little bit about inhalers. Inhalers and nebulizers, these are devices that a lot of people with COPD really need to consider keeping up with their medication treatments. And some folks have been a little concerned about whether or not it's safe to use inhalers or just stick with, you know, or use nebulizers or stick with what they have been doing. Should people adjust their medicine just in case they want to avoid having any kind of potential exposure cause them to uh, to exacerbate their lung condition. In general, what have you been heard, have you been telling people and what have you heard yourself about what to do with medications and, and how people should manage that in the time of potential coronavirus exposure? I think people are best served by always making sure to consult their lung specialist or whoever is helping them keep their breathing as good as possible, whether it's a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant or their general doctor or their lung specialist. And I think the more we learn, the more we are learning ways to make sure that people can take their medicine safely without endangering those that live in their environment. So one of the suggestions, of course, is because Hawaii is such a nice temperate place, we can open our windows, we can open our sliding doors, we can go in the patio, we can go in the garage and take medicines that we were concerned might um, produce droplets that would possibly affect other people that live near us. So that would be a nebulizer. You could literally use your nebulizer in a different location that might help you to have a little bit more of a 
free air passageway or just have some nice wind and breeze help to not concentrate potential exposure anywhere in particular. Right. And and for inhalers, uh, a lot of them are dry powder and don't really produce a lot of droplets. And if if people have inhalers that allow the use of spacers, the spacer traps a lot of the medication that the person is going to inhale. So I think spacers really have a good place in successfully taking medicines well. And we will have a guest speaker who is a PhD talking about safely using nebulizers and nebulized medication as part of our presentation on the 21st. All right. Well, we have a little space at the moment. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. And we have Valerie Chang from the Hawaii COPD Coalition on. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the exciting news about immunizations. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, the Kahala Hotel and Resort, and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have... I have Valerie Chang from the Hawaii COPD Coalition on the line, and we're talking a little bit about what are some of the ways to stay healthy, even if you do have a chronic lung condition, to keep yourself from getting exposed to getting coronavirus and how to keep your breathing on target so that you can keep up with your lung condition and your daily activities. Right before the break, we were talking about how to make nebulizers safe. Maybe use those in an open-air environment if you can. And how inhalers, sometimes dry powder, and used with a spacer can really minimize any potential exposure to other people in the household. Now, Val, you and I have both kept up with this one. We do recommend that people who have COPD make sure that they get their yearly flu shot and that they get a pneumonia shot. So these are things that we've recommended all the time. Are these things that, you know, you've seen some of the people that you know of who has COPD get really careful about doing flu shots, pneumonia shots? Yeah, I think most people that have COPD, their doctors are always reminding them to get their annual flu shot. And then a lot of us that have lung disease are told to get the pneumonia shot like every five years instead of just once or twice. So I think we all have to pay attention to whatever our doctors recommend because it might be a little different because those of us with lung conditions don't always keep our uh, resistance up as long as somebody that doesn't have a lung condition. Well, and it's very important, and sometimes certain medications could put people at a slightly heightened risk, so keeping an eye on making sure you've gotten your flu and pneumonia shot. Now there's also coronavirus shots that have recently been established to be effective. I think Pfizer came out last week with a shot. Moderna came out uh, this week with a shot. They've been working on this for the last several months. And the shots are looking good, 90 94% effective. They might have a little bit of a distribution in how they're transferred or stored or transported as a slight difference. But I expect that we're going to have shots available. Now, when this shot becomes something that is, you know, in local pharmacies or in local providers' offices, I would think those folks who have lung conditions should should step up and say, hey, I, I'm in this risk group. I want to make sure that 
I potentially can get this vaccine when it's available to everyone because I'm at high risk. This is something that I know as a healthcare provider, I'm going to get one as soon as it's available to my cohort of folks. Uh, is that something you would consider getting too? Oh, I definitely am going to have a conversation with my lung doctor and get it as soon as he recommends it. And I think I've heard that CVS is going to have them in stock, and I don't know about the other pharmacies, but I suspect they are as well. I think uh, the transition team is talking with the drug manufacturers to find out what the timeline is and what the appropriate distribution is. And so I think those are all things that we will be hearing more and more about. And I think it's useful for people to start talking to their their healthcare team and saying, hey, when should I be stepping up and telling my pharmacist that I'm interested in getting a shot, just like the shingles vaccine, you know, if if you haven't gotten that. I think the more things we are protected against, the more we can stay as healthy as possible and not create a burden to ourselves and others. Well, that's a really important point is sometimes people will step aside and say, I don't want to get that. I want to save it for someone else. But in fact, looking at that idea of what would happen if you didn't? Would this potentially be a burden for yourself or for your family or for even the healthcare system? So I know there's a variety of different hierarchies on how they would get the shot to the highest risk people, to those who are actively treating coronavirus patients. And all of those things are being worked out by the infectious disease experts and by local experts in the departments of health. But uh, I agree. I think it's one of those things where you kind of have to look at it from the entire perspective, not just I want to hold off and give that shot to someone else, but rather what is the effect if I don't do it? So that's another aspect to consider when we hear more about these vaccines, which it's one of the fastest vaccine implementation protocols that I've ever heard of and certainly in my lifetime. And it's uh, pretty amazing that the companies have been out there and doing their best to make sure that the technology is available and Hopefully we'll all have access to these vaccines within short order. So when when the World COPD conference takes place, that's coming up this coming Saturday. You mentioned a little bit about some of the speakers. How can people find out more? Oh, there's an article on our homepage, www.hawaiicopd.org, and they can just go to the webpage and click on the article at the top of the website and it's right there, and it'll tell them the agenda and how they can uh, register. Registration is free, and it's available to anyone that's interested. Um, We will also have two student occupational therapists that are going to be helping talk about how occupational therapy can help people live more productive and healthier lives, and I think that's really exciting because I think They are underutilized, and they are a very important part of the tools that people can use when they're trying to figure out how to be as effective as possible and to, you know, just use all the tools that are out there. Well, and you also alluded to earlier that there's going to be a conference discussing 
pulmonary rehab, which is a whole other aspect of trying to keep yourself healthy, is kind of like physical therapy for your lungs. You know, sometimes if you do have a condition that could potentially put you at risk for having it get worse, whether it be arthritis or back pain or something, there are some ways that you can use physical therapy as a tool. In this case, pulmonary rehab and how occupational therapists play a role in that, even physical therapists as well, to really help people to improve their overall lung function and keep them keep them healthy and keep them active, which is our ultimate goal in when we're trying to keep ourselves uh, as as independent as possible, despite having risks of medical conditions like COPD. And, you know, Val, I really want to thank you for sharing your expertise and with all the hard work that you do with the Hawaii COPD Coalition. This has become a labor of love for you, and you've done such an amazing job at corralling some of the resources here locally to try and help support the community, and in addition, making these connections. So if anybody wants to attend the World COPD Day, you can go to www.hawaiicopd.org. You mentioned it's free for people who are interested, and lots of great information that you're going to present. And I think you and I are going to do a little Q&A, so that's always going to be a little exciting. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show, or you can find us on the HPR app. Our engineers, David Chong and Dr. Kathleen Kozak, we'll see you next week right here on The Body Show.